What a wonderful time in worship it has been. Thank you, Rob, for leading us in prayer. Thank you to our worship team. That song, Jaira, is one that, if you're ever having a tough week, just put some headphones on and, and play that song really loud. And it will remind you that God is more than enough, that you can be content in every circumstance. Well, before we moved here to Calamesa a couple years back, as many of you know, we lived in Ohio, not that far from Michigan. Actually, when Rod was telling that story, I can remember there was many people in Ohio that used to have skunks as pets. That's a thing out there. They are actually very good about keeping rodents away from your house. That was a cool story. Uh, and in Ohio, my sister and brother-in-law also lived there. My sister, Gina, who some of you know, grew up in this church for a little bit. She married somebody who is a native Ohioan and, and moved there. Uh, and we ended up uh, randomly living about an hour away from each other. We spent a lot of uh, Sundays together over at their place. And because my brother-in-law is a native Ohioan, we would spend most of the time on those Sundays watching the Cleveland Browns play football. Uh, it is not easy being a Cleveland Browns fan. Uh, because they usually lose. I have some empathy for that because I'm a Padres fan, and I, I know what that feels like. Although this year they're doing a little bit better, but we've got no hope of catching the Dodgers, I think. Uh, but 2017 was a particularly bad season for the Cleveland Browns. They lost 16 games. And if you don't follow football, there's only 16 games in a season. So they lost every game. So it was during 2017 that, that about halfway through the season, we were there on Sunday at my sister and brother-in-law's house, and we were watching the Browns play, and there was just a few minutes left. The Browns had the ball uh, in the other team's territory. They were already in field goal position. The score was tied. We thought, they're going to get their first win of the season. But of course, you know, it's the Browns, and even though they just had to take care of the ball for a few more minutes, They'd at least have a field goal, maybe even a touchdown to win the game before hardly any time was left. Their running back on the next play fumbled the ball. The other team recovered it and ran all the way to the other end of the field to score a touchdown. And I looked over at my brother-in-law uh, at that time, and he just had this big smile, and he was chuckling, and he said, well, that's the Browns we know and love. He said, always snatching defeat from the clutches of victory. <laughs> that was a, a phrase he liked to repeat quite often. And he went on to, to go and say things like, we're just so terrible, we're so awful. And then he ended by saying something interesting. He said, we are a team that's unworthy of victory. Hmm. You know, sometimes people may avoid coming to the supper table of the Lord because they doubt that the victory which this symbolizes could really be for them. They feel unworthy. Maybe we could describe this as the Cleveland Browns syndrome. The struggle with failure has been so hard, so difficult, so constant that we don't see ourselves as anything else but terrible, awful unworthy. Participating in something like communion, such a reverent and solemn service, isn't for people like us. 
After all, doesn't 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27 say, whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. Have you read that text before? Well, first of all, Paul is speaking there not of unworthy people who participate, but an unworthy manner in which they were participating in it, right? The early Christians, they used to celebrate communion along with their supper, their mealtime in the evening. And what happened over time is that the, the significance, the meaning, the reverence of the communion service kind of got lost in all of that. Some bad things uh, happened along the way. You can read about it in chapter 11. It was the attitude and the understanding of the ordinance itself that was unworthy. That's what Paul was talking about. And second of all, none of us are worthy to be here, right? In fact, not even the disciples were worthy enough to attend the first supper with the Lord. Let's go back and read through much of that account in Luke's gospel, chapter 22. I think the text should be up on the screen if you'd like to follow along or open the word in whatever format you have it today. Luke 22, verse 14. When the hour came, Jesus and his disciples reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The son of man uh, will go as it has been decreed, but woe to the man who betrays him. They begin to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. Verse 24, then a dispute arose also among them as to which of them was considered to be greatest. Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors, but you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? It is not the one who is at the table, but I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom just as my father conferred on me so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And then I forgot to put it in there, but then the text goes on to have this conversation where, where Peter and Jesus start talking. You know, Peter, you know, he can't help but talk <laughs> in moments like this. And brave and courageous Peter gets told by Jesus, you know, before the rooster crows third time tonight, you will deny me. Let's go over all this unworthiness we see in the text. Let's start with the disciples at large. The text says, 
in verse 24 that they are arguing amongst themselves who will be considered the greatest. Jesus has just got through with telling them that he is going to suffer. He has spent a few days trying to get them to understand this. He has modeled for them the extreme humility of washing feet, and this is where their mind is at. Who's going to be the greatest? Talk about unworthy. And then that conversation he has with Peter. He will deny Jesus when Jesus will look to him in that moment. Brave Peter won't be so brave. Talk about unworthy. And yet Jesus still invites those disciples, still invites Peter to partake. Even Peter gets to go to communion. Even Peter gets to have his feet washed and share in the promise of the body and the blood. And then there's another disciple that singled out. He's the one in our sermon title today, Judas. Even Judas went to communion. He went there already deciding to betray Jesus. In fact, in verse 3 of that same chapter of Luke 22, it says that, that Satan had already taken hold of his heart. Talk about taking the cake of being unworthy. And yet, Jesus even invites Judas to be there, to participate. Why? Why, why didn't Jesus stop Judas from, from partaking? Why didn't he stop Peter? Why didn't he just stop the other disciples, get their minds right, their hearts in the right place? They were acting too unworthy. One of my favorite authors gives this insight. Maybe you've read it before. She says, though Jesus knew Judas from the beginning, he washed his feet. And the betrayer was privileged to unite with Christ in partaking of the sacrament. A long-suffering Savior held out every inducement for the sinner to receive him, to repent and to be cleansed from the defilement of sin. This example is for us. When we suppose one to be in error and sin, we are not to divorce ourselves from him, by no careless separation are we to leave him a prey to temptation or drive him upon Satan's battleground. I say that advice goes for us personally as well. This is not Christ's method. It was because the disciples were erring and faulty that he washed their feet. And all but one of the twelve were thus brought to repentance. The same long-suffering Savior that extended his life to his unworthy disciples extends it to you and me today. Even with all of our shortcomings and mess-ups, our choice is whether or not we will accept his invitation to receive him, to repent, and to be cleansed. When you think about it, it is our unworthiness that should drive us closer to the supper table of the Lord, not away from it. Because it is here that we find hope and assurance in the one who is worthy. I want to leave you with one more quote from one of my favorite authors before we break for the foot washing to leave you with a picture of the kind of attitude we are meant to have as we come to the supper table of the Lord. But the communion service was not to be a season of sorrowing. This was not its purpose. 
As the Lord's disciples gather about his table, they are not to remember and lament their shortcomings. They are not to dwell upon their past religious experience, whether that experience has been elevating or depressing. They are not to recall the differences between them and their brethren. The preparatory service has embraced all this. The self-examination, the confession of sin, the reconciling of differences has all been done. Now they come to meet with Christ. They are not to stand in the shadow of the cross, but in its saving light. They are to open the soul to the bright beams of the sun of righteousness, with hearts cleansed by Christ's most precious blood, in full consciousness of his presence, although unseen, they are to hear his words, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Amen.